Hi, and welcome to the Unfiltered podcast with me, Emma Saunders. Join me on a journey to go behind the facade of the ever-present, false and glossy portrayal of the perfect life. Hi, and welcome to the podcast, Been So Tired. My name is Naftal Benesty, and I'm Dutch. This podcast is about my journey coming off of benzodiazepines and more. Disclaimer, always consult your physician for medical advice. This is episode 21, a conversation with Emma from London, UK. And today it's January 10th, 2023. I've had the honor to have a chat with Emma from London, UK. I hope you enjoy our conversation and check out the description to find more of Emma. Hello. Hello, Emma. Welcome to the show. Hi. Hi. <laughs> so great that we can do this. How are you? I know. Um, I'm okay today, actually. I'm having, I'm having an okay day. How are you? I, I'm good. I'm having an okay day as well, too. Yeah. So <laughs> lovely that you're on the show today. Um, I'm so glad that I found you and that you shared your story. Mm-hmm. Um, as we discussed, we were going to do some topics today. Yes. So let's start on something similar that we have together, which is tinnitus. Could you tell me how you got tinnitus? Yeah. So in the pandemic, I, well, I obviously, I got COVID and something weird happened to my sinuses. I got some burning sensation and it was kind of just from that point onwards, my ears started to go a bit weird. And a few months later, I woke up with just this very loud ringing in my ears. Um... And yeah, I mean, I, I, I instinctively think it's COVID, you know, I heard lots of other people who had COVID also got tinnitus. So yeah, I mean, I still have it now, um, but I have got used to it, uh, considering everything else that happened. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when you got tinnitus, did you instantly know what it was? Had you heard anything about it prior to getting it? Um, so no, actually, I mean, I obviously heard, I had heard of it, but when you have it, it's kind of like, oh my God, I, I mean, I went into panic mode and was trying to find anyone or anything that could give me some information. I really wanted to go and see like an ear, nose and throat doctor to kind of look at my ears. Um, but I ended up going to my dad's private doctor because I thought he would, he was a private doctor and hopefully he'd refer me on to someone really good that could, you know, suss out what was going on. But at the Mm -hmm. time I was just really, yeah, I, I, I was really worried about it because as you know, um, it's a constant noise that all of a sudden goes off in your head and you're like, oh my God, what do I do? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I basically got crazy. It just, it drove me insane. The noise, it, you know, in, in the first yeah. you know, time that I had it, it, I was like, what is this? Will it go away? Um, I still had a hope that it was going to go away. <laughs> um, so yeah. Yeah. The whole time you're like, okay, this is going to go away. Like maybe I'm stressed. Maybe it's from this, maybe it's from that. But um, how, how did you get yours? I am pretty sure that I got it from Lyme disease. Yeah. Um, because um. Well, luckily for the Lyme disease, I, I caught it on early. I was like, okay, because it was definitely a tick on me. And then, you know, I had this distinct kind of bullseye develop. Um, and then I had some really nasty things happening to me. I was like, okay, this is Lyme disease and I, I need to get this treated. 
Mm. And then it did get treated. But then I think about maybe a week or two later, I just got this instant noise, like really shriek, a shriek in my, in my head. I was like, okay, well, it has to be the Lyme disease because it was like just two weeks before or something. So I, I was, I'm pretty sure it was because of the Lyme disease, but I had no clue about tinnitus, about ringing the ears. Mm-hmm. I was like, what is this? So um, I go into this full blast panic mode and, you know, I couldn't sleep. That was my main thing. And yeah. it's just amazing how insomnia within days, really, if you're barely sleeping, how it can affect your life that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, 100%. Sleep is like number one. Right, right. So I was like, you know, I need to get the tinnitus fixed, thinking maybe it could be fixed. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I wasn't sleeping. So <laughs> that's how, my, you know, my first I need to sleep. That was my first uh, thing. But you went to the, your private doctor mm-hmm. in the hopes to get some sort of referral, maybe some information. But what happened at the private doctor? Um, so he treated it very casually. He was like, look, you know, sometimes this happens, people get a bit stressed, and, you know, they get tinnitus. Um, and he was like, why don't you just take this pill? Didn't tell me what it was. He was like, perfectly safe. I give it to old ladies, you know, on, on a regular basis. And, just take this, this will help, this will make you sleep. And once you start sleeping again, you know, you'll, you'll feel better. I mean, I had been sleeping, but it had been broken because of the tinnitus, obviously. Um, I would wake up in the night and just be like, oh my God, you know, when is this, you know, it was kind of freaking out, but then I would, I would sleep. But the doctor was like, you know, sleep is so important. So please do take this pill. And it ended up, well, six months I took uh, lorazepam for one milligram. Um, and yeah, he just kept on saying to take it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so he gives you the lorazepam for sleep and he was maybe thinking, imagining that with some sleep, you know, you'd feel better with mm-hmm. the tinnitus. So the tinnitus basically left untreated. So it was like, okay, well, there, there, here's this for sleep. Mm-hmm. Maybe things will get better. And that's basically how you went out and no information about what you were given. And uh, was there like a time frame that, you know, take this for an X amount of days and then you need to come off? Nothing like that? Or So, yeah, he was he was kind of weird about it. I was like, OK, I'll go away. I took it. I contacted him again and said, look, you know, I've still got this ringing in my ears. You know, I've slept. And he was like, look, just keep taking it until the pandemic's over. We don't want you to stop sleeping altogether and for you to spiral and so that's what I did thinking that this was you know completely safe to take and yeah I mean what I didn't realize what started to happen was the pill started to make me unwell as I was on the drug and ironically uh, as you know uh, you know it makes your sleep worse so yeah. I mean I, I you know it, got, it kind of got to a point where I would have given anything to have had my initial broken tinnitus sleep <laughs> <laughs> right I, I i i have the same because the first benzo um that i was prescribed um it's not it's like approved here in the netherlands and maybe another country but it's called lormetazepam and i think it's mm-hmm. very close to lorazepam um okay. it's the same in terms of potency and and half-life i think mm-hmm. but i would wake up constantly on the lorazepam so me you know i got like a prescription initially for one milligram and then I would wake up after two hours and I was like so sleep deprived. So I just popped another pill and it was perfectly fine, according to my doctor. So I ended up having broken sleep all the time and then just taking another pill. So very soon I'd be on a high dose, but it was very broken sleep initially. So 
but it was just bad. It, it, it wasn't a miracle drug to me <laughs> at all. That's so, so because like when I was taking the lorazepam, what started to happen is a similar thing is I would take it, sleep for like two hours and get up at like, you know, 2 a.m., 3 a.m., 4 a.m., 5 a.m. Like, and I, and I would say this to the doctor. I said, look, you know, I'm taking this, but actually I'm waking up at like 4 a.m. And, and, and what would happen is I would wake up with really bad, like panic and anxiety on kind of like an unnatural level. Mm-hmm. But again, you know, the doctor was like, no, it can't be that. I can give you some beta blockers to calm your heart rate. And so I just kept taking this awful pill. So when did things start started spiral for you after, you know, taking it for so many months? Well, I think it was like one month in. I, when I look back now, um, I, I thought I was losing my mind because I was starting to get this like unnatural panic that, I mean, it was just so intense throughout the day. And it's sort of built to a point where it was just like, I was, I was not functioning as a person. And so I would just, I just thought I was losing my mind. And so I would just keep taking the pill. I started doing lots of therapy. Um, I mean, I tried everything. Uh, cranial sacral therapy, meditation, horse therapy. Uh-huh. I did all these things to try and kind of calm myself and was like, oh, I'm obviously having some sort of breakdown here. Uh-huh. And um, as the as it went on, the pill obviously, I didn't know at the time, was stopping me sleep. So I was starting to look pretty kind of gaunt and losing a lot of weight. Um, and, and obviously, as you know, when you don't sleep, you just you, you just become very unwell. And I was in Spain at the time. Uh, A Spanish doctor said, you know, why don't you try an antidepressant? I was very resistant to that. I didn't want to I didn't want to try any more medication. And in the end, I thought, you know what, I'm just going to taper off this uh, lorazepam. It just didn't feel right to me. I felt like when I was taking it, it was giving me brief windows of sort sort of normality. And then I would go back to this horrendous state. And um, yeah, so obviously the doctor told me to taper it in two weeks, which is incredible. Wow. Now wow. I know. Um, yeah, so like I was on it for six months. So then I tapered it in the two weeks and it was about a week after the taper, I was then hit with the full whack of benzo withdrawal. Goodness, goodness. And what were your worst symptoms um, basically coming off so fast in the beginning? Oh my God. I mean, I had this really weird feeling. I'm, I mean, I don't know whether you'd relate with this. I, I'd never really had a panic attack before, but it was like I'd left my body completely. And I was like, I think people call it DPDR. Oh, I, I haven't heard of that, but I, I can totally relate. And I think for me, yeah. when I basically cold turkey, I had zero knowledge, but I basically switched to another drug uh, yeah. very closely related to benzodiazepines, but not the same. Yes. I had a psychotic break. <laughs> I had basically had a psychotic break. Uh, what you're describing, I, I think for me, it was kind of like derealization. I remember <laughs> after a few days, I was walking my dogs and it was like an otherworldly experience. I'm like, this, I feel weird. It's mm-hmm. everything was mm-hmm. odd and strange. It, nothing made sense. And I was like, hmm, I don't know whether maybe, maybe it's related to the drugs, but I, I didn't know anything. And then like a few days later, I had my psychotic break, but it does really mess wow. you up. So, so when you, you, you were switched to a different drug? 
Yes. So after about, let's see, about seven months in the lorazepam, and I was like, I mean, it wasn't a good life because I had this broken sleep. I was tired all the time, all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I had been trying to find help, proper help for my tinnitus. And I mm -hmm. didn't really succeed in that. But I was like, I don't want to be on these pills forever. So I need to find a solution. It didn't work. At least I had some thought that maybe the drugs, the pills were helping me to sleep a little bit. So so mm -hmm. I kept taking them and there was like no discussion with my doctor. Like you have to take this temporarily. You need to come off. It's not a long-term solution. Um, but then they ran out of stock or something. So I remember going to the pharmacy for my refill and they were like, well, we're out. I mean, what do you mean we're out? I need this. I need these pills to sleep. Um, well, we don't have them. So it's going to take a few months. So I panicked because like, I, I need something to sleep. And then my doctor switched me to florazepam. Mm. which is a very long acting benzodiazepine and I didn't know anything. So, um, and then I actually did sleep a little bit better in the beginning. I, I mean, in comparison to the very broken sleep that mm. I was used to now I would actually have quite some hours that I slept. So it's like my initial thoughts are, Oh, this is a miracle drug. Why didn't I get this in the first place? Um, of course, you know, the, the rest is history, but um, I did get switched because of the lack of, you know, because they ran out, you know, so I had, I had to take something else. And then, you know, the doctor prescribed me fluorazepam, which I had never heard of before. Oh <laughs> yeah, that's crazy, isn't it? It's like, and that can happen a lot with, you know, they just run out with of what they're giving you. And they're like, okay, we'll um, just give you this. Yeah, yeah. And I think one mm -hmm. of the, you know, in hindsight, now with everything that I know, um, uh, the, the the doctors don't know anything about benzodiazepines or not enough at least um so I'd say, what, what, <laughs> sorry what i'd i'd say zero you know is it, like, <laughs> it feels like zero that they know well i had a really interesting chat with him um when he switched me over to the florazepam um because he prescribed me 15 milligrams and i didn't know anything about equivalency and he didn't either so he prescribed me 15, but the equivalency of four milligrams of lormetazepam, which is, would be the same as four milligrams of lorazepam, would be 40 milligrams of Valium, which wow. would be 90 or 120 milligrams of lorazepam. So when he gave me the prescription for 15 milligrams, it did nothing. And I was like, okay, I'll just take another pill. And then he ended up being mad with me before taking 60 because that's what I needed. Mm -hmm. apparently and I was like how dare you take so much because I only prescribed you 15 I was like well it wasn't doing anything but if he had checked the equivalency chart then he should have known that that wasn't enough actually it would, it would have been dangerous because I would have gone into this awful withdrawal because of you know two little wow. benzos at the time I, I I'm not sure how you feel about this but um I think I was pretty much physically dependent after a few days already from my first prescription. A hundred percent. And that is such a good point to make um, because this is so underestimated, especially with the doctors, because, you know, I think it really was for me the same, like within a week, I started to be become very dependent and I didn't realize that it was making my symptoms worse. You know, my anxiety, my worry for my tinnitus, my sleep, everything just got worse. Um, and I didn't realize that it was actually the pill causing this. You know, I had no idea. I had no idea that they, they could be so dangerous because for me, if I go to a doctor and they prescribe me a medication, then I think it's safe. Mm. <laughs> I never once thought it could lead to me almost dying and just yeah. the horrors of withdrawal. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, it's terrible.
And it's so confusing as well, because when you go in with like, you know, other people are going to be going in with anxiety or they're having anxieties about something. I mean, we have the tinnitus, but it's like, and then it's so confusing because you're like, is it me or is it the drug? And like, because the doctors are like telling you that it's you and it can't be the drug. That was also incredibly damaging for my mental health as well, because I started to like, I mean, it just made it so much worse. Whereas if you know it's a pill that's causing it, you can, well, I like to think you can kind of separate from it a little bit more. Like now when I have withdrawal symptoms and I'm feeling a bit weird, I'm like, like, I know, you know, I know that it's withdrawal. I know it's the pill. But at the Mm -hmm. time, I literally thought I'm losing my mind. I did. I had so many times that I just didn't understand what was wrong with me. I think throughout my whole process from getting tinnitus, I think one of my struggles was I was like working, I was living, I was doing a lot of stuff and people didn't really grasp what the tinnitus was doing to me, you know, because you, you look fine. (laughs) Maybe you look a bit tired because you're not sleeping, but you look fine. Mm -hmm. They don't see that you're having this horrendous noise, you know, in your head. Um, And even my doctor kind of dismissed it. Like you're just going to learn how to, live with it you know you're just gonna have to and it's it's true but I didn't know the how people underestimate that this is quite a thing for some mm-hmm. people when they got when they have tinnitus you know so, I mean that, that is also such another massive point like it was treated very casually with my doctor and because it was treated so casually it kind of made me worry more I was like oh am I like is this weird that I'm worrying about this like maybe I shouldn't worry about it and you know, now having everything, you know, time has passed, I managed to, it's called habituation, isn't it? You kind of like, you get used to the sound and your brain gets used to it and it doesn't like react to it as much. Mm-hmm, and that mm-hmm. can take like, you know, anywhere from months to years for people to kind of really get used to the sound. And, you know, at no no way along the journey of me trying to find out anything was I told that that was a possibility uh, until I found like, I think it was a man on YouTube, um, who spoke about it and cranial sacral therapy and yeah it definitely wasn't like all my friends and family were just like thinking that I was being super dramatic and super over the top about being worried about ringing in my head which I mean for anyone is very distressing (laughs) Mm -hmm. it is it is and I I remember that in I think this was 2020 just before the pandemic hit or maybe just after Mm. I was you know on 90 milligrams of floor I was on a really high dose of benzos and I was just tired all the time and I was like this is not normal anymore so I actually went to see a psychologist I'm like I have tinnitus I'm tired I'm sleeping poorly and what I don't know, how, she, she never asked about my benzo. She was like, oh, probably, you know, it's a medication that you need. Probably. She, does, she didn't know. But she was basically treating okay. the adverse effects for, for me being on high levels of benzodiazepines. And she was really like, you have something, you know, in terms of chronic fatigue syndrome. So you're going to have to build your life around always being tired. So I believed her and I, I was like, okay, I'm going to be tired a lot. So I have to do a lot of changes in my life. And then, of course, a month later, I'm like, no, there's this this fatigue. This there's something wrong. There's something wrong. I'm not really sure what. And of course, I find out it's the drugs that are causing my fatigue. Fatigue now. So, just yeah. it's just terrible that people don't really recognize it. I didn't recognize this, recognize it myself. The the adverse effects. I never knew this could happen when you take this drug. You know, all the adverse. I was so unaware of the. You know, I. I don't know. Uh, were you aware? When did you get some awareness that the, you know, the lorazepam or stopping that was causing your specific symptoms? When did you get that aha kind of moment? I got the aha moment when I completely stopped it. 
And then I was hit with this like otherworldly sensation that there was no like, because before that point I was like, oh, it must be my tinnitus. It must be, you know, surrounding that. And when I was hit with this wall, I mean, that was nothing to do with my tinnitus. And from that point, you know, I, I didn't actually think about my tinnitus because I had a whole wealth of other withdrawal symptoms that I, you know, was very uh, preoccupied by. And um, so something that you mentioned actually when we were talking uh, yesterday was how, you know, all we really needed is like a holistic, holistic method to kind of walk through our tinnitus or tinnitus. I never know how to pr- pr- pronounce it. It's pr- okay. I think both is fine. <laughs> I think both is fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> tinnitus. Um, yeah. So basically, yeah, you were saying how, you know, all you really needed was like a holistic therapy. And so did I. All I really needed was to go and speak to somebody about it and to figure out like there's exercises you can do. You can listen to stuff as you sleep. Um, there's all sorts of things a person can do. And yeah, I mean, what I would have given for somebody just to like tell me that rather than give me this pill. Because yeah, the aha moment was 100% then when I stopped it. And because there was no stopping what then happened, you know, my withdrawal state was so severe, nothing helped. And I was, yeah, as you know, then propelled into like three hospitals, almost died. You know, that was nothing to do with uh, the tinnitus at all. (laughs) <laughs> and as you're as you're going through basically the worst time of your life, probably, and you're in mm-hmm. hospitals, you're almost dying. You almost died. What did? How did the people help you? How? What did the doctors do? Did they realize, you know, oh, this is acute benzo withdrawal. We need to reinstate. We need to do something. Did they have any clue on how to help you? Initially, when I was hit with the wall of like, I mean, chemical terror and all sorts of other things. I I just did anything and everything to try and find as much information I could. I was on the Benzo forums, Facebook, um, through a friend, somebody gave me a psychiatrist. He was incredibly expensive, but apparently like a Benzo specialist in London. I go and speak to him. I actually, you know, fully in Benzo withdrawal, somehow get into London. My sister had to drive me there in the car. I have this chat with him and he says, right, well, you're, you're in benzodiazepine withdrawal. And he said, you know, try and kind of reinstate. And so I tried to reinstate the drug, but it actually didn't do anything. If anything, it made me feel worse. And so he was like, well, you know, unfortunately you are also intolerant. So this means that, you know, the drug won't do anything for you now. And so his kind of plan was for me to keep taking this drug and then t- and to slowly taper off it. But it was just, it was so uncomfortable because the reinstatement hadn't worked. And like, like I say, it just made me feel worse. So I was just very quickly declining. And my dad at the time just couldn't believe that a pill could create this. And because it was his private doctor who he's like trusted his whole life, he was like, oh my God, you know, Emma must be losing her mind. And so, I was with him, I I then went back to sort of be with him in Spain because I needed to be taken care of. And obviously it was the lockdown, Um, I had to move out of my place in London. So I was with him in his care and because he had this belief that it was me, I, it, it was very, very difficult to like have anyone take me seriously. 
But at no point, apart from that psychiatrist who we spent loads of money on in London, did any hospital look at my records and think, oh, she's been on a Razpam for six months and she's just stopped it without tapering. You know, no mm-hmm. one no one looked at that. Like when I went to the Spanish hospital, I was there in an absolute state. I had akathasia, which obviously you know what that is. Like uh, I couldn't horrible. Stop I couldn't stop moving. My thoughts were going a thousand miles an hour. You know, they're asking all these questions and they basically thought that I was completely crazy. And my dad at that point as well, you know, and I was literally, I was so strong. I was like, it's the lorazepam. Look at my records. I'm in withdrawal. And, you know, I had this Spanish woman just say to me flat out, that's not possible. Um, you know, wow. we've, we've got medication that will will help you. And they basically, against my will, I had these two big bodyguards, you know, shove me into a chair, strap me in and take me to the psychiatric unit. Um, And it was, yeah, absolutely terrifying experience where I got plugged with antipsychotics, antidepressants, massive tranquilizers, um, all of which did not make me feel better. (laughs) <laughs> wow and it's just amazing in 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 the short span basically if you like rewind a year prior you were okay maybe you know and then uh, well, yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's just I mean... this crazy time warp like you were normal functioning you get tonight as i like a year later or so you're in a mental hospital and yeah. i just can't imagine i mean I, I i imagine now because i know this is happening but then there's so many doctors looking through your files and they don't seem to make a connection or don't seem to know what benzo withdrawal is or what to do. Okay, so you're in the worst time of your life. Your your dad doesn't really believe you maybe. And then what happens next, you know, after the hospitals? So, yeah, I mean, also really unfortunate because Spain, and now, now I know, but they're terrible with medication. I mean, each each country's kind of got their different ways. You know, as we know, America's not great with medication. They just kind of hand it out, you know, more than any other country. Whereas, like, Spain's kind of similar. Like, they have a lot of, they hand a lot of benzos out and they don't think that they're dangerous at all. And when it comes to mental health, it's like medication, 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 you know? There's no kind of, like, holistic um yeah therapies that they'll give you so i was treated very much almost like a like a villain like a like a prisoner like i'd done something wrong um mm-hmm. and it was in that hospital i was only there for 3 days because i did everything in my power to try and get out of there um my dad turned off his phone at this point he you know i i just it it got very dark yeah, obviously i love my dad and we were very close before all of this but he just got it in his mind that it couldn't be this pill, even though, you know, we'd had a lot of people, we'd gone to see a lot of people and they'd said, look, this is the possibility. It was just a really awful, awful thing to experience because when you have no one on your side. And so, yeah, I, I basically, because of this and because it wasn't recognized, I got so unwell. And when I came out of that hospital, I, I couldn't walk, I, I, I could barely talk. My sleep had completely, I mean, it already, I wasn't sleeping at all at this point, but now it was almost like I was in overdrive, like the akathasia had been really, really like triggered and even more so than before. So I was in this like unimaginable state of, of like suffering. And- Did this- they poly drug you there? Did you get out of the hospital with like more drugs? then you can, you entered basically or yeah they gave me like i think it was cutiapine and such sertraline. Such but 
but I, I didn't take them because I knew, I mean, I could feel it feel in my body when I took them because I was in so such raw benzo withdrawal. You know, as you know, it's like your nervous system's on fire and you literally feel like you're, you know, it's on fire. You take another pill and it's like, oh my God, it's almost just, it's awful. The feeling that I got when I took those pills, um, I, I, I was like, I can't take these. So I was, you know, left with medication, but didn't take them. And in this awful situation where I'm at my dad's house, he's look, he's just shut off to me completely, almost like I'm not even a person anymore. He's like, you know, doesn't know what to do with me. And I end up back in the UK. Uh, my mum comes to get me and I'm and then I end up again um, in another hospital. But that is that was simply because I almost died uh, like, like you. You know, it's like I got I, well, I got to a stage where. You know, I wasn't eating. I hadn't slept for months. I was five stone and I was pacing, you know, frothing at the mouth, basically, in my mum's living room. And I got, you know, the uh, the ambulance came round and, you know, came to get me and took me to a hospital to rehydrate me. But again, you know, no one looked at my records. No one has looked at like, OK, she's been taking this lorazepam. Could it be that? Um, and I and I would keep saying it, even in this psychotic state, I knew it was the pill. And I kept on repeating myself saying, guys, it's the Laraz. I'm in with benzo withdrawal. And no one believed me, not one person. The this whole way. Horrible. Yeah. I mean, I had the same. I had my um, doctors tell me, like, the, the symptoms that you're describing, it's impossible that you're having these things. It's, um, it's taking you an awful long time to come off these drugs. And they had never heard of someone according to them, like me, that was having these, you know, countless symptoms. And I knew it was, you know, the benzo withdrawal, I knew it was causing, you know, all the issues, but they just seemed to not believe me. And that's like the, the sad thing, in my opinion, when you're, they treat you like, you, yeah, like you say, I got treated like a villain sometimes. I'm like, no, it's, it's not mm. me. It's the drugs causing all of this. Why don't you believe me? And then, you know, you ha you're already well, for me, I'll speak for myself at your lowest rock bottom. You're like, help me. I'm so sick. Please believe me that I'm sick. And then, yeah. you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's terrible. Okay. So you, you, at some point you're back in London, uh, what happens when, when you get back in London and everything that happened? So, I mean, obviously like, I mean, I don't even know how to put into words the stuff that happened, you know, as, as you know, it's like for people listening to this, who have never been through benzo withdrawal or like a psychiatric pharmaceutical withdrawal you know it's like it's just otherworldly the things that your body goes through and I mean people have likened it to an acid trip I've never taken acid but like you know I, I was basically in this state continuously trying to kind of get through the day and I I was having suicidal ideation which I know you know what that's that is it's just this constant flashing of like death and you know, suicide and you're thinking, oh my God, I just want to like end this because I'm in so much suffering. And so that would just keep, that was just going around in a cycle. And I went in that hospital initially, um, you know, five stone, was plugged with risperidone, metazapine, uh, antipsychotic and antidepressant, and still very much not in reality or okay, was um, discharged two weeks later back at my mum's house and back in kind of uh you know just there pacing around the house it's like it's a really desperate situation because you know I was in a state of like what I felt no way back you know I was so harmed that it was like I either try and end this myself or god you know god knows what's going to happen 
And then I ended up in another hospital because, you know, things were just so desperate. My mom couldn't take care of me with me pacing around the house like that. It's just, it's unbelievable. You know, people would come around and be like, Emma, just sit down. And again, no one believed me. Like my family, you know, uh, like they treated me. Yeah. Like I was just this completely insane person that had, was making all of this up basically. And I just thought, I mean, I I still, it still baffles me because I don't know how somebody could make that up (laughs) of the way that I looked. And, you know, it's clearly something quite more than like a mental health disorder. You know, it's like something's really wrong here. So, yeah, I I was really, really deserted by like everyone. Um, Apart from my dad's friend, Hans, this lovely guy who I, I actually sang with you know, years before when everything was normal um, at an open mic. And my dad put me in touch with him and said, look, maybe he can help you. He's actually in an antidepressant withdrawal. And so I ended up getting this advice from Hans and he was just so understanding. And even in my psychotic state, I still was, I was holding on for dear life and I was listening to his, his, um, advice and he said look why don't you just take a tiny bit of this lorazepam and this was like seven or eight months out from taking it I'm in a terrible way and so one morning I just think I'm absolutely terrified god knows what it's going to do to me because it hasn't helped me before it made me feel worse and Mm -hmm. I took the 0.5 lorazepam and I literally stabilized back to how I am now and yeah I mean and, and and presently I'm now trying to taper off these three medications that I'm on, catiapine, mirtazapine, and lorazepam. So I'm very much polydrugged. And it's a really, really difficult balance because yes, I'm somehow normal um, in terms of thoughts. I don't have akathasia, I don't have psychosis, but I do have this awful now challenge of trying to get off three medications and, and one affects the other. And right. It's like, you know, at the moment I'm having to actually maybe pause my benzo taper now and actually tackle the gatiapine because the benzo could actually help me get off the gatiapine. And so it's, oh. it's, all, it's just all this like, you know, it's almost like a science experiment and you're the rat in the cage. It, it is totally, <laughs> totally. I, I totally relate because, you know, we can think like objectively about, well, let's try this. But when we go wrong or if it doesn't work, we suffer. We don't sleep. Something can happen. So we have to be very, you know, particular when we kind of tweak things. You know, um, I remembered that I accidentally took half a milligram of diazepam <laughs> too little and I was like in full blown benzo with um hell the day after it was like oh my gosh i really cannot skip a dose that's how mm-hmm. physically dependent i have become but a bit back to your family and your friends mm-hmm. um it, that, that is intense that mm-hmm. is really intense that no one you know saw a sign i mean i i i look i'm blessed with a very fortunate partner that you know was cheering for me helping me whatever a- way, way that he could um, but he was just as schooled, which is, wasn't <laughs> on benzos. So we kind of <laughs> went with the doctors and what they were saying, but he saw me, he saw me having full blown seizures, not sleeping, losing my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, the ecathasia, like you said, I was like a walking corpse and jittery and I can walk and I can talk. I can formulate sentences at some point. I was like in such bad shape. Um, and my addiction doctor that I had at the time, he just didn't believe me. He was like, well, that that cannot be, you know, <laughs> it mm-hmm. cannot be. It was just so dis- dismissive, you know? Yeah, yeah. 
completely and, and did you like did you have any friends and family that were like I mean it's so amazing you had a great partner like that is like gold dust <laughs> you yeah know, yeah you're going through such a severe thing and like no one knows what's going on the doctors are like dismissing you and it's like to stand by you like that is really like great and it's, it's difficult because I think my mom and my sister they were very supportive I I tried explaining it the way that I could like I I have a physical dependency going on and you know I'm gonna be sick a lot probably and you know they were just understanding but some of my friends they I don't think they have the bandwidth or they have the bandwidth to fully grasp what this is about mm, mm. and I, I think at one point I was like you know if I'd never you know, had taken a benzo and I hadn't known anything about benzos and I had a stranger or a friend or a family member saying, yeah, I'm on drugs and I, I can't seem to come off them. I get really sick. I think I would struggle with trying to understand what was going It's so complicated. So yes. Yeah, that's so true, actually. And even, you know, before this, I had no idea any of this existed. And if someone said to me, oh, I'm having a withdrawal off a medication, I just would have been like, I would have kind of shut off, shut off to it because the even the word medication, I don't know anything about medication. Unfortunately, mm. I do now. <laughs> I know, I know like a hell of a lot more more than most doctors. Um, right, me too. I'm educating yeah. my doctors. Well, the fascinating thing about benzodiazepines, in my opinion, is I mean, we've seen movies and we've heard about heroin and drugs and people go to rehab and they're really sick and mm -hmm. vomiting, whatever. They come out and they're clean. Yeah. And with benzos, it can take years. And even when you're off them, mm -hmm. you might still have to recover from being on them. <laughs> so That's there's like, there's no narrative. There's not, you cannot put this in a movie because it would no. be too long of a movie. It would be um, <laughs> a series of, you know, 10 seasons uh, over 10 years, maybe. So it, there's not really yes. a narrative. There's no needles. There's no blood. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's that makes this such a different drug, you know, the benzos. So, That's but so I really feel that they, sh I think they should make movies or some sort of, there, there needs to be more attention to this because it, this can be just so destructive to people and people not knowing it. Mm -hmm. At least, you know, for my friends though, because I had to part ways with some of my friends and I'm, yeah, it happens. And I think for me, because even if I wouldn't understand, I think if one of my friends that, you know, I've parted with would just be like, I don't understand what's going on with you, but what can, how can I help you? What can I do for you? Yeah. And if I just say, just text me, you know, once a week and let me go through this, I'll come back eventually. I'll get out of this. I'll stabilize and be better, but just be patient. Mm. Then, you know, we would have been good. We would have been good. And luckily I do have some friends that kind of acted that way. So they're still here for that reason. So <laughs> Yeah, no, that's, that's a, that's really lovely. I mean, in a way, I, I have friends as well who, I mean, completely walked away. Um, and still, you know, they're kind of gone. And people make their judgments, like you say, it's such, such an important thing about the benzo withdrawal. It's not like, you know, you're on heroin and you, you go to a rehab center and then you're sweating and or like an alcohol withdrawal or anything like that. It's like, I mean, I, I kind of wish it was like that, <laughs> you know. All of us do. We would love to go to a rehab, feel a absolutely norm. miserable, almost die, and then come out clean and yeah. free of chains, you know, yeah. of some sort of drug. But it, unfortunately, it doesn't work that yeah. way. I never, like you, I never knew something like this would ever exist. I had no clue. No, I was like, I, it's this other world, worldly and the yeah. symptoms that you can have and this journey. So you stabilize at some point and, and you know, now... Do, 
are you able to explain it to your parents and your family, friends, the, the ones that are still in your life? Do they kind of get it now or? Well, so when I stabilized on this 0.5, it was literally like, you know, I walked down the stairs. My mom was, I was like, mom, I think that I'm okay. Uh, uh, I And she was like, what? You know, obviously being psychotic, pacing around the living room, screaming and crying for months. And she's just like, what? And then I kind of, it was almost like being born again or like coming coming from a different planet and then coming back back to reality. And it was like, Oh my God, I, I, I was aware of what had happened to me and I was aware, but it was like, it was so overwhelmingly bad and horrific that the only thing I could do was just like take a step forward <laughs> and just keep taking steps forward and be like, okay, I don't know if this, if I'm going to remain stable like this as well. I was like, like, obviously like, what the hell, this makes no sense. And I just kept on taking the medication I was on um, and yeah my my family I mean my dad basically at this point he'd completely deserted me and so my sister and a lot of my friends just wouldn't pick up the phone to me anymore and like they blocked my number and so like you know no one I didn't have any contact with anyone and when I stabilized and my sister came around and saw me she was like what and then so obviously the news spread and my dad started to try and like contact me and call me. And, you know, it took me a, a few months actually to kind of talk to him again because I was like, you really treated me. That was bad. <laughs> and so mm -hmm. it was it was yeah, it was a really weird kind of experience that it's probably not very common. I, don't, I feel like maybe a very few humans would have gone through such a horrific time and all of a sudden just got better. I mean, I, I say better, but I'm, you know, I'm still on the drugs. But yeah, same, so, same. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, I don't feel, I don't have the closure on it quite yet. But it's, um, yeah, it's, it's a constant challenge now. I mean, I'm still, I'm because it was so bad before. Obviously, as I taper, I'm like, shit. You know, am I going to get off this and be able to function and not have weird stuff going on in my body? So I, at the moment, I'm really trying carefully to do that. And slowly but surely, I mean, my dad's really come round. He did. He has apologized to me and said, you know, I, I understand it now. Because I think when you see somebody in that state and then they take half a pill and they get better, it's kind of like the proof is there, you know. Right. Yes. Well, there we go. We have the thank God, you know, God, universe, whoever's up there. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yeah. Because it was like one of those moments where I was like, told you so. <laughs> like, right, you know, right. I was rattling on about that for months and you didn't believe me. But look at this. This is this not, you know. So, yeah, it was kind of a bit like that. And people kind of slowly, like my friends as well. And I've been very vocal about it on Instagram, um, as you know. And that's how we know each other, which is lovely. Um, because it's just like, then I was like, this needs, you know, this. See, people need to know about this. Like yeah, I have the same thing. So tell me about your projects and how, how you started to do all of them. Yeah, so um, because I've been so vocal on Instagram and posted really disturbing stories of me, like going mental and stuff, and pretty much having kind of no shame, but I was like, you know what, like, if this helps a person, then then at least my suffering's not for nothing, you know? Um, and so when I stabilized, I did a video to say, look, I think I'm having a window of opportunity here. I'm somehow normal. And my friend, a couple that I met um, years before, who are like, they're a production company. She's a director, he's a director. 
they basically were like, we really want to make a documentary about this. Um, you know, this is really interesting. And they're very passionate about it as well. Like they're the kind of people who actually looked into my story. They looked up the medication. They saw that like loads of other people have been suffering like this. And they were like, we want to, we want to, you know, make this. So that kind of began and we we interviewed um the lady who runs surviving antidepressants adele farmer and we also interviewed mark horowitz who is here in the uk a psychiatrist who's really suffering himself on metazapine i think it's one other antidepressant he's really trying to get off them and through his awful experience he's really he's really interesting actually he's done a lot of um a lot of it like interviews where he talks about why doctors don't know uh anything about medication it's, he's a super interesting guy so he's great adele's great and then there's obviously my story and other people's story as well interlinked into this documentary so you know nothing happens overnight so that is we, we are still doing that and hopefully it will be finished this year and just like just try and get the word out there because no one talks about this and it's such a there's such a gap in the like how do doctors not know about this all they have to do is like look on like wikipedia and google lorazepam and see that it's got like yeah. like <laughs> you know like this was my utter this was my biggest shock maybe in my yeah. whole process once i tried to come off them and got really ill and I actually stayed away from Google and the internet because like, you know, no, I don't want to check the internet. I want to go to a doctor because they studied for this stuff. Exactly. So they should know. And I was, I was a good patient. I was like, okay, I was on 90 milligrams of plurazban and now I'm here. And I seem to be having these really weird symptoms when I try to come off and I don't know what it is and help me try to come off them. And then I think I was really in this acute state of hell, like, I, I wasn't even present like I was it was a life of death and for months like day after day and it was like relentless mm. and then I, I I was basically disabled and I think in February 2022 I I googled and then it's like but there's so much information about this why doesn't any why didn't anyone tell me you know this is what what's happening it was like aha this is what's happening and then despite mm. me being super ill it's like okay this is a life-threatening situation that's clear to me right now. So I need to, you know, awaken my inner warrior and fight for myself because I may not survive this. That's how, that's how my state was at the time. I was like, okay, this is bad news. So how, how long, like, cause you know, people like when we say we were disabled, cause I know, I know exactly what you mean by that, <laughs> but like, you know, what were you experiencing in that time? Oh gosh, because I had a cold turkey event Mm -hmm. um, because I was so done. I was, I just wanted to quit. <laughs> I was like done with the, with the pills. So I was like, you know, I, maybe I can quit cold Turkey. Um, maybe my willpower is enough. And then I almost died. And I just randomly instated the diazepam Valium mm -hmm. seven milligrams where I should have started at 45. <laughs> so and I didn't know. Yeah. And my experience, it was just otherworldly. I was barely sleeping and I had, I couldn't, I, I, I think I had a lot of motor tics. Mm -hmm. um, I couldn't walk. I couldn't talk. Um, I was having seizures all the time, like a lot. God, yeah. Um, and I just didn't know what to do. And I had this kind of inner battle going on because I, I think that I did know for some reason that if I would reinstate my original benzodiazepine, maybe that would have gone away. But I wanted, I wanted to come off. So I was basically just praying for mm -hmm. it to go away or stop at some point. But the suffering was so intense. I. 
I, I wasn't present. I was unaware of the day it was. I didn't know mm-hmm. who I was. I was basically in a psychotic break all the time. Yeah. And I, the, the, the scary thing also is that I told my addiction doctor, I'm like, I'm not well, I am really sick. And I don't know, I know it's, it's to do with the drugs and the withdrawal, but I am really, really, really sick. You yeah. know, I'm not sleeping. I'm, I'm barely able to move. Um, I think I was like a ghost, a walking corpse. I lost quite mm-hmm. some weight then. Mm-hmm. I was having these hot flashes. And then the other moment I'd be freezing cold. Light was painful. Sound was painful. Just pain, constant pain and agony that lasted for months. And yeah. if I would have like a window of an hour that I didn't suffer as much, I was still super miserable. So mm-hmm. it was I, It was just you know, maybe I shouldn't say this, but I was like, I, I, now I know this is worth worse than death. <laughs> I was like, you oh, know, was, this is awful. This is yeah. awful. Yeah. Um, that, and I was like, so shocked by everything that happened. And for me, another challenge was when I actually discovered what was wrong, I was like, okay, that's, what do I do now then? I don't know what to do. And no one knew what to do. So I had to educate myself and I'll speak for myself. I'm still trying to find the best way to either come off or stabilize or stay stable, or I'm really trying to inform myself. Um, and at the same time, like you, I was like, this is criminal. I don't want anyone else to overcome this. Yeah. I felt super alone. No one kind of believed me, understood me. I was like, mm-hmm. but I cannot, I cannot possibly be the only one that this is happening to. And I need to warn, warn the world. So that's why I, I, I started with a podcast. I actually started by writing a book. And then I was like, but a podcast that's like in the now. Yeah. If I finish the book, that will be years from now. And then getting it published. I was like, no, I really, maybe this is a better platform to get to people in the now. And I, I did. So yeah, for now, mission successful to be. And, and I, yeah. And to say just from, you know, me, like, you know, I know how hard that was. And actually, it, like people say Benzo Warrior, but it's literally a warrior's journey. It so, is. You know, to get through that, well done. Because no, like, thanks to you too. You and know? that's why I was so impressed. I was like, you know, I, I, I'm going to do this. And then I think, you know, there's, there's a silver lining to all of this because I met you, I met other people. And mm-hmm. I think there will be a wave of awareness coming. And that's, that's what we want. And I think that's yeah. awesome. So I praise everyone who is really, you know, getting the word out there like you. So mm-hmm. thank you so much, Emma. We'll be in touch. Yes. Yes. And you're always welcome to come to my show in, again in the future. And can we say anything to people who might be going through this, like in terms of like where they can go for help at the moment? That's a good question. We- yeah. <laughs> Because like, as you were saying, you know, I, I am the same. I'm still trying to inform myself. How do I get off these three medications properly? And like, what have been the most useful resources that you found? Well, the most useful to me was the Ashton Manual, even mm-hmm. though it's kind of dated. Um, they, I think she does a hell of a job explaining the symptoms because when I saw the Ashton Manual, it's like all of these symptoms I can relate Um it's also important in terms of equivalencies to the diazepam that they switched me over to instead of a crossover, which he also recommends. I was like, yeah. oh, so fluorazepam, I should have been on 45. And, you know, it was just very informative. I, I do feel the schedules are kind of quick and, and, you know, they're example schedules. Um, but they just really explain very well what these benzos do. So that's a good start. And I think because it's the only scientific research, you know, kind of validated by everybody, 
it's a good thing that you can bring to your doctor, like, hey, this is what's wrong with me. And this is an actual medical research thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a good start. It's a good yeah. start, definitely. And then the second thing, you know, there's different platforms, there's Facebook, I'm not on Facebook, um, you've got Benzo Buddies, you've got other forums, mm-hmm. actually just trying to find other people. And it could also be like, for example, someone's on Instagram, and they're like suffering, they could send me a message or anyone a message who's been through this, and then they, they can forward you to other sources. So um, how about you? Yeah, no, completely. Like, it's kind of like you have to tailor make your help. You're like, okay, who can I find? Who can I talk to? And then just use your instincts to be like, okay, I think there's something in this. And for me, it was like, obviously, my friend, my hands, which is somebody who was going through this, who had a lot of wealth of knowledge about tapering. And so he told me a lot about it. And he told me to go to surviving antidepressants. And they they have a lot of people on there on benzos and antidepressants. And they've got just so much information about especially if you're polydrugged if you know how to go about that and all the different options so I've spent a lot of time on there just looking at different people's stories and trying to work out maybe you know how to how to kind of do mine and then also um benzo warrior community is really really good on Facebook they're just so lovely because some of the forum some of the forums are quite scary and they're quite negative and there's a lot of people on there really suffering whereas Benzo Warrior community are really kind of motherly and caring and they have weekly zoom calls in the evenings uh for people just to go on and chat and also um, the guy called Chris Page I don't know if you've heard of him but he he offers like I mean he was a therapist before this but then he went through a really devastating withdrawal and you know he's come out of it and he's ended up on a couple of other drugs now but he's really positive to talk to um he's like Chris Page coach I had I had a session with him and he was just just really kind of just great because it's just speaking to somebody who's been through it and you know he's kind of giving you quite good advice um and lastly, Inner Compass, they are, I think they've got a website now, but they're also on Facebook, just a whole hub of, you know, for antidepressant withdrawal, benzo withdrawal. They do great videos, just really informative of anything new that they found. Um, yeah. Totally agree. <laughs> and I think for me, what also had like, for example, your story, but just seeing other people going through or experiencing kind of the universal withdrawal symptoms that, you know, are there, you know, it's like, I thought I was crazy with my heart palpitations, with the craziness, mm-hmm. the psychotic break, the yeah. no sleep. And I was like, Oh, actually, this happens. So um, I just got a, a lot of confirmation of that. And I would sooner listen to someone who's gone through it than a doctor by now. So um, <laughs> yeah, so I think Finding uh, your peers or other people like you, um, that's always helpful to me. Thank you so much, Emma. We'll be in touch. Yes. Lovely talking to you. (laughs) Okay. Speak to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the episode. Be well, be safe. And remember, it's not a race. And don't forget to subscribe.